Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, Husker fans. Welcome to episode 232 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat. In today's episode, we welcome back Matt Wenzel of MLive to have a conversation with Justin about this fall's matchup between the Nebraska Cornhuskers and the Michigan State Spartans. You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at huskerpod or email us at huskerpod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website for the latest deals, cnbuffalo.com. Also brought to you by Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know someone who is? Reach out to Monty at 402-770-3356. We are excited to welcome Matt Wenzel back to the show. Matt is a football beat reporter for MLive. Great to see you again, Matt. Good to see you as well, Justin. It's been a little while. Yeah, well, we were going to talk last or yeah, last summer when Michigan State was on Nebraska's schedule for like a week, mm-hmm. and, then, <laughs> and then that fell apart. So, um, well, so the last time you and I talked was in advance of the 2018 game, which was that crazy snow 9-6 to six game. Um, and uh, Michigan State looks a little different now than it did at that time. Maybe uh, walk us through what all has transpired uh, for Michigan State since then. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was a lot, a lot has changed to say the least. That was, um, one ugly game and part of an ugly finish to a a very ugly offensive season for Michigan state, uh, disappointing year. And they followed with another disappointing, uh, 2020 or I'm sorry, 2019 season. And then, um, in February of 2020, Mark D'Antonio just, um, abruptly uh, retired after 13 seasons leaving the program. So uh, the timing was uh, far from ideal. Obviously, when you're uh, when you have a coaching change in February, um, Michigan State kicked the tires on some guys. Uh, well, they, they looked at some guys, and, and they ended up being hiring Mel Tucker away from Colorado, where he just come off his first season. And you know, it is it's a really it was really I guess it is, but you know, at the time it was a really interesting hire um, for a number of reasons. One, he it's very similar to you know to Mark D'Antonio and his background, you know. Um, he's a defensive back by trade. He is a defensive backs coach, specifically a cornerbacks coach by trade, just like Mark was. Um, and they both coached under Nick Saban, their Saban disciples. Um, you know, Mel began his coaching. He played at Wisconsin and he began his coaching career as a GA at Michigan state under Saban. Um, and then he ended up, uh, well, among his stops, he won a national, he was on the same National championship winning staff with D'Antonio at Ohio State under Trestle. Um, he worked for, uh, you know, was after working for Saban at LSU. And then, you know, he spent a decade in the NFL. Um, and then uh, came back to college working for Saban at Alabama. Uh, won another national championship. Then uh, worked for uh, Kirby Smart at Georgia. And then uh, he got his first head coaching uh, job at uh, Colorado. Went five and seven. And then Michigan State. 
Um, gave him a lot of money to, uh, hmm. to leave Colorado after one season. And uh, that obviously upset some of the Buffalo fans. But um, uh, yeah, he came to East Lansing and then to begin what was just a, a wild uh, first year of his tenure. I don't, you know, I, he, he obviously couldn't have imagined what would happen. You know, he was hired in mid-February, puts a staff together. And then because of COVID, everything gets shut down. So uh, zero spring practices. And that was part of a... Uh, Disjointed would be a very friendly way to describe their offseason, to say the least. Um, I'm struggling to remember the date off the top of my head, but it was less than a month before the season began, their first game, that they had their first fully padded practice under new staff, which is wow. um, insane. <laughs> so so a, a, a two and five season results, but um, you know, how can you be surprised when so much churn. I guess to, to go back just a little bit before we move forward, um, as someone who's around the program, I mean, this is what you do for a living. Were you surprised when Dan Antonio resigned or was that something that people saw coming or? Yeah. Uh, the timing of it um, surprised me a little bit. Um, Mark had a retention bonus built into his contract. Uh, I wrote about this a million times. So you have to forgive me for, it's been a while to remembering the exact dates, but uh, it was basically a $4 million bonus or 4.3, whatever it was, um, that was built in and it kicked in, uh, geez, was it February of that year? So, I mean, I had heard people rumor that he was going to stick around till he got to that date and then, and then walk away. Um, I didn't think he'd do that, uh, because of the timing of it, you know, you're just signing, you just signed the majority of your recruiting class in December at the early period. Um, and then you were, and then he did walk away. It was actually the day before the start of the traditional February signing period. Um, so I was surprised by the timing. Um, other, some others weren't, um, but yeah, I mean, he just said, you know, he, he just had enough basically, you know, he didn't think he could, uh, he went out recruiting and he couldn't promise these, these players that he'd be there through the end of his tenure. You know, I mean, I knew the end was, was coming near for him, but um, you know, the timing was, was a little bit of a, of a surprise and, and, you know, coming up back to back seven and six seasons when you're kind of on yeah. the downswing. But then again, if you're him and you're looking at it, there was no reason to look at that roster and think things were going to get immediately better because they had actually just lost, you know, they were losing the bulk of their playmakers off of seven and six seasons. So um, it would have, I think when he, if he probably would have been honest, you know, he has to sit down and think it's going to take another four years or so to really get this thing going based on the track they were on. I haven't really thought about this for a while, but I know when we went from legends and leaders to East and West, I had hoped that Michigan state would go West. Instead we got Purdue. Um, (laughs) uh, You you think uh, I can't help, but think that D'Antonio maybe sticks around a little bit longer, maybe has a little bit more success if he's in the West. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any, uh, any question. The, uh, the West is the easier of the two, just based on one fact that Ohio state isn't in it. So um, yeah, I mean, you get Ohio State, which is, you know, always going to be your Big Ten favorite, barring something surprising. Um, and Penn State, which is, you know, minus last year, you know, James Franklin has that program at a good level. Michigan is, you know, I mean, no, no, they haven't achieved the level that the fans expect for Harbaugh, but it is, you know, it's still Michigan. They still get the recruits in there, whether or not that equals uh, wins, we'll see. But so, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a difficult division. I think when you look at it, you look back on it. You know, nobody expected Michigan State to accomplish what it did 
um, under D'Antonio. He took the program to heights nobody believed were possible. Um, and then they regressed towards the end. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know that if that would have led to him sticking around longer. I kind of think if he maybe was honest about it and would go back and have a chance to redo it, um, I think he would have walked away after the 17th season. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, you have the, the heights where you're, you know, you reach, you win another big 10 championship, you go to the college football playoff, you sink in 2016 with three and nine, all the off field stuff with the sexual assault. Yeah. And then 17, nobody thinks you're going to do anything. And you, everybody's just pretty much predicting your demise. I mean, they weren't top 10 team, but they won 10 games. They won a bowl game. And I mean, I think if, I think that would have been the appropriate time if Mark really thought, looked back on it, went had a redo. Maybe you walk away then, you walk away in a high and turn the program over to the yeah. Year. Those things are so so hard to guess at, and of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, yeah, and at the time, he had he there was a lot of young talent on that team. I mean, right. when you look back on it with that ten wins, people thought, well, okay, you got all these guys coming back, you'll be even better. But uh, that did not uh, come to fruition. So, so Mel Tucker's here, and as you were saying a moment ago, he, he's on staff for like a month before really the pandemic shutdown hits. Um, and, and in fact, you were saying to me before we started recording, you just finally got to meet some of the assistant coaches for like the first time, right? Yeah, so I mean, he gets, his, he gets hired on the 12th, I believe it was, of February. He does his intro presser, and we talked to him a little bit after that, uh, February 24th of that year. Um, another little presser, a little round table off the record type of thing where we actually, you know, kind of really got to meet him. Um, when not everything's, you know, you're not recording everything. And, um, and then, yeah, that was it. So, uh, we didn't get a chance to meet any of the assistants other than through zoom, um, during the course of the season, all availability was on zoom, but, um, that period ended, uh, obviously on, on June 1st and Mel and, um, more than half of his, uh, on-field assistants were at a, uh, camp at Ferris State uh, this uh, last Thursday. So got to uh, meet, catch up with Mel in person for the first time in a long time and, and meet the assistant. So uh, that was a welcome change of pace, to say the least. So now um, so now looking, looking forward, you, you had this one bizarre uh, two and five COVID season. Um, did you, do you feel like, how is, is Mel's offense and defense, are they taking shape? Did they take shape by the end? Like, what what are you expecting for this coming season? Is it still a work in progress? It's obviously a work in progress, but. Yeah, it's a major work in progress. Um, last season, I think pretty much anybody, any rational individual gives Mark or gives uh, Mel a free pass on last year, just because of the situation. Yeah. You know, they were, yeah. they were nowhere near prepared to, to put a team on the field. Um, and you get a, you get an upset win at Michigan you get an upset win against Northwestern and yeah. five double digit losses. But, you know, I think fans overall, you'll take the win in Michigan um, and, and you're not happy with two and five, but you understand. And now, I mean, it's just a complete roster overhaul is what it was, what's happened. Um, this team will not look anything like in the fall will not look anything like it did um, at the end of last season. It will not look anything like it did at, even at the end of spring practice this year, just because of the transfers, um, they will be, they will be extremely difficult to get a feel for a real feel for until, um, they open the season at Northwestern, just because you just have so much. Yeah. I mean, they've had 27 players enter the transfer portal since November. Uh, and they've added officially added 18 transfers. Um, 15 of those are scholarship transfers. 
Um, they just picked up a com commitment the other day last week from a walk-on punter for Texas Tech. So that would be 19 transfers. I mean, basically between the, the 2021 recruiting class and the, the, the transfers, there will be 33 new scholarship players on the team in the fall that weren't on the team last year. I mean, that's, that's a healthy amount. So yeah, real, real, real tough to get a feel for him. I mean, you get a new quarterback competition, uh, you get a new running back competition with Kenneth Walker coming in from uh, Wake Forest. He was highly productive. Your, your D line comes back, um, but the back seven of the, of the defense is, is, you know, just, it's basically a mystery. You know, you just have so many guys that, that wow. with heavy losses at linebacker and, and corner, uh, to the portal and guys coming in from the portal, you just don't really know what they got back there. So what, what kind of quarterbacks are in the quarterback competition? I mean, like if you had to guess about what, what it might look like, what? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, so Rocky Lombardi, who uh, you everybody saw in the last trip to North uh, to Nebraska, who was throwing passes to everybody that dropped the ball. Um, he won the starting job last year, um, was up and down, played, played really well at Michigan and struggled mightily after that. Um, you know, decent against Northwestern, and then got and then struggled again against Ohio State, and, and got hurt, and then that was it for him. So uh, he's gone. Uh, they brought in uh, Anthony Russo, a grad transfer from Temple, so provide uh, you know an experienced veteran option in the room. And basically, it's him and uh, Peyton Thorne, who's a redshirt sophomore, who are the top guys in the competition. Thorne was the backup last year. Um, he got in some games when Rocky struggled. And when, when Lombardi was out hurt against in the, what proved to be the season finale against Penn State, Thorne got his first start. Um, had a great second quarter, threw, ended up throwing for three-something and, and three touchdown passes in the loss. So you saw some positives there. Um, but coming out of spring practice, it was pretty clear that it's, it's Russo and, and Thorne. Um, and, and, you know, Russo's got all the experience. He's the bigger guy. He's got the you know, stronger arm. Uh, Thorn is more of a, I think you might be able to project him as having a higher ceiling just because you haven't, you know, he doesn't have the 26 college starts that Russo has. Um, he's a little more, he's more mobile. He's more of a running threat. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll see because, because, because Russo is new to the offense still, you know, he got there in January, so he got the spring. Um, but, but Thorne, uh, he did have that, even though it was a, a messed up year, he did have the experience in a new offense. So he knows more about it. So we'll see how, how they each learn um, this summer. But that's a competition that will hmm. go into fall camp. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was not a starter name before the opener. Um, but, yeah, between those two. And then there's those other guys on the roster. But it would be a surprise to see any of them leapfrog them. So, so a lot of unknowns, top to bottom, sounds like, in terms of positions of strength, maybe the de defensive line is position is the offensive line. You didn't, I don't know if you said that was a weakness. No, the offensive line has been a weakness really um, for years. Um, 18 and 19 were just disasters because of injuries. They were just, it was a new combination basically every, almost every week. Um, last year they were healthier, but uh, not effective. So they, but they, they bring basically everybody back. They bring all their starters back. There's options. They brought in a, a transfer tackle, uh, Jarrett Horace from Arkansas State, who, who gets in the mix. So they have an experienced group up there, but will that translate to success? I don't know. But uh, as of now, I mean, the, I'd say the potential is there for the offensive line to be better. And I think that's really what the key is to the offense improving overall from being just absolutely awful. 
Um, but the to be seen on that, and obviously it takes the quarterback not throwing a ton of interceptions and, and having not having one of the most atrocious, the worst running uh, game in in, uh, in program records. So, um, but I would say the defensive line is definitely a strength. Um, you bring back three or four starters. You add um, a grad transfer defensive end and Drew Jordan from Duke. Um, you get four of your top five D tackles back, both starting DNs coming back for the sixth year uh, and Jacob Panasuk and Drew Beasley. Um, so yeah, they're strong up front. That should be the, the highlight for them. Um, wide receiver is also another position of strength. Um, you bring back your top three in um, um, Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor. Um, Naylor was really big, a big play guy because he's a speedster. So um, he opened up their, their downfield passing attack last year. Uh, Reed's pretty good too. He's a transfer from Western. He was an All-American, a freshman All-American uh, there. Um, I had Trey Mosley's back, and then you they added some some transfers too. Malik Carr from Purdue, who could who could be he's a former four-star guy. He just played one year there. He could fit kind of that hybrid, you know, big receiver tight end role almost. Um, Christian Fitzpatrick from Louisville. So yeah, I mean they've got the bodies at receiver. They should be pretty set there. Um, whoever's throwing them the ball. But I would say those two positions would stand out to me the most as strengths right now. I'm looking at the schedule here, the 2021 schedule. Start out at Northwestern, then you go to Youngstown, and then you go to Miami. Excuse me, you host Youngstown. You go to Miami, deal. That's not Miami of Ohio. That's Miami of Florida. Um, come to Nebraska, uh, Nebraska comes to, to you, host West Kentucky, going to Rutgers, to Indiana, host Michigan, to Purdue, host Maryland, going to the Horseshoe play Ohio State and finish at home with Penn State. What, uh, that's, uh, could be, a, could be a rough season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it absolutely could. Um, you never, I think when you're, you've got all these new pieces and you're trying to see how they fit, um, fall camp will be crucial for them um, with all the transfers and the freshmen. I don't think when you want to put it out, take it out for a first test spin, you want it to be uh, a road game against the, Big Ten West Division, um, yeah, uh, defending champs. Even though Northwestern's kind of up and down, hard to predict a, a certain. They are, but their defenses um, are usually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's a rough start. I mean, Youngstown State should be a win. Uh, yeah, Miami. Miami's going to be rough. Noon kick in, in Miami Ooh. Garden down there. Oh, gross. And, uh, yeah. In uh, mid September, yeah. Uh, reminds me of the uh, trip to Arizona State made in uh, September a couple of years ago. That was uh, that was brutal. But it was a, a night game with. Uh, the heat index about a hundred still at kickoff, but it, it, it is, you know, it's a tough schedule. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, uh, predicting a record. I just, you know, it's really hard. You know, I, I could see a path to this team getting to eight wins. Will that happen? I, it would, things would have to break, you know, really, really well for them. Um, I stick with what I, you know, what I said going into last year, pre COVID um, before everything got thrown you know, into a blender um, when it was just Mel taking over the program. I thought, you know, with, with what they had, you go six and six and make a bowl game in your first year. That's an accomplishment. Yeah. I still think that would be an accomplishment with, with what they brought in with, you know, trying to get everything together um, with all the new, new players and, and a difficult schedule. I think if you win six games um, and, and just, I think they need to, they need to show more consistency than they did last year because, you know, you open with the loss at Rutgers, everybody's down in the dumps get seven turnovers. Nobody's given you a chance to win and you go beat Michigan. Now, granted, Michigan ended up being 
pretty bad itself, but uh, uh, then, you know, just, and then you come home and then you go out and you go to Iowa and you get absolutely throttled. And it's just or one week to the next, you, you were, it was hard to figure out what they were going to do. Um, so they need to be more consistent. Um, and, uh, you know, you get, if you can get to six wins in a bowl game again, that's, I think that's a, that's a step forward in year two for now. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like, that seems like a really solid first season, especially with being him being five and seven in his one year at Colorado, you know, six and six, and that would be something to be happy about. And I think I'm, I'd be, I'd be happy about <laughs> I wouldn't have rest at this point. Yeah. Um, I guess to kind of wind it down here, talk to our friends at the Eyes on Big podcast. They had a couple questions. We already, one was QB, and we've already talked a lot about that. Um, but another question, what is recruiting going to look like for Mel Tucker? Uh, that's interesting because um, year his first year was, you know, just pretty much similar to on-the-field stuff. It was kind of a, a disaster because he couldn't, you know, you had to do it all virtually. He had, you know, basically that less than two weeks of where, of where it was, you know, the quiet period where he had, you know, a few guys on campus, um, a couple of whom they actually signed quarterback Hamp Fave from Texas was there unofficial. He ended up signing. Uh, he committed in, you know, a month later and ended up signing and they had a, an offensive lineman, a local offensive lineman was there as well. But, all, but I mean, that was basically it. They, they had a little group on campus and then everything was zoom. Um, you know, they only had one four star signee in the, in their 2021 class. Uh, linebacker Ma Naoteote from uh, Las Vegas. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think the recruiting, I don't think that's the kind of rank you want in your class out of Mel. I don't think that's what anybody expected because a lot of the knock from the fans was that Mark wasn't recruiting at a high enough level. Mel would come in, younger guy, energy, you know, he's got all these connections and that would change, but you know, everything's on Zoom. Uh, a bunch of their signees in the 2021 class didn't even visit campus before rolling. So that's just crazy in itself. Um, but you know, everything just opened up, uh, last week with the dead period ending. Um, they've got five commits in the class currently, all of them three stars, and they are just coming off having their, um, first group of official visitors since Tucker took over the program, uh, this past weekend. So, um, yeah, you're really looking to see what it's going to look like now. Um, they had some, some other key targets on campus this past weekend. Um, uh, Nico Marchio. Uh, quarterback from Arizona, four-star guy, Alex Van Summer, and four-star defensive tackle. He's a local guy from a couple hours away. Um, but, you know, so they had 10 guys, I think, total, and they're for official visits. So we'll see if they can, you know, I talked to three of the guys in the last 24 hours or so. Um, all had positive things to say. Um, so you finally got them on campus. Now you got to get them to commit. So that's the next yeah. step for them. So they'll be busy. This is going to be a crazy month for them uh, before the dead period kicks back in later in the month. But between the visitors, official and unofficial, um, some of the assistants going out and, and working some of these satellite camps. Uh, Mel, I don't, I don't know that Mel's going to go into any more than the one I saw in that last week. Um, Michigan State running their own recruiting camps and actually getting into evaluation. Um, I don't think any of the coaches have any planned time off this month, to say the least. Mm, yeah, I'm sure. Well, uh, you are. M Wenzel two on Twitter. Uh, M Live is at M Live on Twitter for your publication. Is there any other websites or Twitter handles our folks need to know to follow what you're putting out there? No, I think that's about it. Uh, that is the Twitter handle, mlive.com slash Spartans for, for all of that. Uh, all the Michigan State news and and yeah, it'll be looking forward to uh, hopefully a regular-ish football season. Um, and not spending every day wondering when a game's going to get canceled. So 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice you think, change of pace. You think um, Michigan state fans come out in force for, for the games this fall or is it, how, yeah. how good of attendance will they have? Well, you know, attendance slipped the last couple of years, but you know, that's what happens when you're a mediocre team that um, can't score. So, um, yeah, I mean, when you look at the schedule, um, you know, you bring in – I mean, they lost the home game with Miami last year, part of the home and home. They still haven't made that up. But Miami always work. they never have to come north. Yeah, but yeah. But it's in the summer anyway, so. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I mean, it's so it's not, you know, it's not your ideal non-conference slate of, of home games with Youngstown State and Western Kentucky, to say the least. Um, but, you know, but, you know, Michigan – That'll always draw the crowd and Penn state. That's a home game to close it. So those are always popular opponents. Um, and, you know, I'll just be curious to see, you know, the plan is to have a full stadium. I'll be curious to see if they can find 75,000 people that are comfortable being around 75,000 other people that close. Um, yeah. Mich- Michigan handled things a lot differently than Nebraska <laughs> as a state, but we won't get into that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a completely other, uh, different conversation, but yeah, yeah. things have been much different uh, over here than they yeah. have been in a lot of definitely. Countries. I'll tell you, it's just being here in Lincoln. feels like it's ancient history. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard that from, from other people in, in other parts of the country as well. But life is good and a good life. <laughs> well, hopefully it's a good summer out there. Yeah. Well, same to you, Matt. Thank, thanks for your time and your expertise and we'll be following you, especially come, uh, September 25th. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. You too. Thanks. Thanks again to Mr. Wenzel for joining us on the program. As always, we've put links to his Twitter and the MLive Spartans website uh, in our show notes, so you can check it out there. Also, don't forget to pick up some Central Nebraska Buffalo, and if you're looking to buy or sell a home, we want to make sure that you're in good hands. So reach out to Monty Rohde, 402-770-3356, or you can also email him, M-O-N-T-Y dot R-O-H-D-E at PRGLincoln.com. That's Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Kind of short and sweet today, folks. I don't have much to say without Justin around to kind of riff off of. Um, so, you know, we'll get back to the storytelling and the random <laughs> tangents that we have uh, in the future. But for now, uh, for the both of us, I'll just say, go Big Red. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is an unofficial, non-commercial podcast and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast belong solely to the individuals expressing them. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the University of Nebraska. Nebraska.